And this is our last episode of February, so if you don't catch it, you have to wait all the way till March. So listen if you can. And I'll, over there, as always, is our drummer, Greg. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> Greg's not here. <laughs> okay, we'll start over. Well, I guess we're very thrilled. I better just call this Carnival of Anonymous because we're very thrilled to have our Maxi Greg, whatever you want to call yourself. So- professor, professor Don Anonymous is back to join us. Hey, Don, thanks. Uh, very welcome. You don't get an intro like that anywhere else. You can call me supplicant, Greg. <laughs> but one thing I do want to talk about, just because it was his birthday, is George Harrison a little bit. And I saw you just sure. put out Beware of Darkness. Right, yeah. And I've over the years to me now, like the young uns around us, like Michaela, Sam Snyder, all those neighborhood guys, Greg Townsend, who is more our age, that's his favorite guitar player, he's getting the credit he's due, I think, in terms of, just how good he is and creative. And he's become my favorite over the years. Right, right, right. I remember uh, growing up, my stepmom was was, was a, a fan of... I mean, she had some Lennon solo albums, though. But I remember when when Lennon died, though, uh, there was all this talk about him and McCartney. And she was like, uh, I, my favorite was George Harrison. So that was, uh, you know, there's always, there's always been that contingent of Beatles fans that... That sliver of uh, fans that, that George was their favorite. Well, there's the cruel, like the music snobs, like the critics used to call the Beatles a giant Lennon, his, his his cohort McCartney, two midgets. And I think that's just to be snide. I think that's the part where, like in the mid-70s, they weren't cool. They had a K-Tel album out. <laughs> I remember, remember the K-Tel record. There was a lot of snideness in the 70s. Yes. Yeah. And I've heard, actually, and I might be wrong, but they sued him, but a Beatlemania helped bring him back because it brought back right. interest, even though they sued Beatlemania. <laughs> Right, I remember how big uh, the uh, the Bee Gees movie, Sgt. Pepper, is. Oh! Have <laughs> you listened to that again oh. in recent years? Yeah, uh, very few of those covers. Uh, the only really... one, okay. Earth, Wind, and Fire. You could probably yeah. guess the one I actually I thought yeah. was amusing. Steve Martin, Maxwell Silverhand. I was going to mention now, that was... one, too. That was fun. Um, but, yeah, uh, there's one, the one cover, the, the um, uh, Gotta Get You Into My Life by Earth, Wind, and Fire. That's one that some people think that's actually turned out better than one of the... Well, you know the one they play a lot the, on, the you know, FM radio stills come together by Aerosmith. That that was huge back then, but I have not heard that Aerosmith cover in years. I've gone more to, like, yeah. you know, for radio, like, you know, 88.5, all that, or, like, classical 91.5, so I don't listen, but, but for a while, when I would, it would always be... So that was a good one, too. Yeah, but yeah, my I gripe, like, about stuff like that is, okay, you have all these artists, they have more than five songs, dude. You can hear, like, driving on trips, the same song every three hours. It's like, you know, they have a big catalog. But the one that got me, remember when Strawberry Fields died? They played Carry That Weight when they did the funeral. Oh, God, I haven't seen the movie Because her name was Strawberry Fields. Strawberry Fields Forever is proud. It's in the top five Beatles songs. And the way they did that song, I just cringed. (laughs) Yeah, you think the Bee Gees would have done it a little bit better because they were virtually a, a... Almost like the Australian people Beatles themselves. People don't get that. Like, some people just think, okay, disco and everything. They go back to the 60s, and they were sure. Australian pop. Yeah. Cucumber Castle. Yeah. Oh, they, they were. They were like a Australian Beatles. 
you would think they would get the music more. And then Robert Stigwood produced the movie, I think, and he's a music guy, you should know. But he did produce Staying Alive and all that stuff. They were they were good, I mean, but they were even better at copying, you know, because in the 60s... Well, actually, you know, their first cover was a George Harrison song, right? They covered, I think, uh, uh, you know, when they were starting out in the 60s. They... Oh. I could be confusing them with the Hollies. Don't but. worry. This is like the, this is why I say look it up if you don't know it. I'm going winging it as I go. Plus, how would you love like and I saw John Cleese live and he verified it. George Harrison calls him up, says, "I really love this movie. Uh, is it getting made? No. Well, I'll pay for it. We'll make it. It was Life of Brian. He read the script, and he just how, imagine having the money just to say I I like this movie. Make it." Right, right. And now exactly. I think isn't it ranked? It's in, I think it's number one or number two best English comedies ever. Oh, it's it's a it's definitely up there. I mean, plus of the cheese makers. Nothing will ever surpass the Holy Grail, just because it was just That's one of those me, shot was... shot in the dark kind of. The movies. only difference I have now from hearing all the Pythons is the difference with them. Holy Grail was a tough shoot. It was wet. It yeah, was exactly. Yeah. And they enjoyed making like Brian better yes. in terms of that. And the beauty of like, I love serendipity because like the coconuts. Why did they have the coconuts? They couldn't afford horses. Right. Let's bang right. some coconuts together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Isn't that some of the best things like happen that way? Like it just. Yeah. But the other thing about George, he just seems like the nicest of the bunch. I know, like, Paul would say, you know, Ringo, not as nice as you think. If you met him at a hotel or something, you'd be fine. But if you just, you could be surly. Sure. But George just seems like the nicest. There's a story I tell a lot from a bio of his where there's a woman, college student, American college student, hitchhiking, just not hitchhiking, but traveling through England. She's waiting for a bus in front of this big hedgerow. And it's raining. The bus is late. This weird guy comes out. Says, what are you doing? Well, it's going to be late. You want to come and have some tea? It was Harrison. Mm-hmm. Though it sounds creepy <laughs> if sure. you think yeah. about it now. But that's what he was. He was like a country gentleman. He, like, he was into like racing, auto racing, you know, the Wilburys, everything else. And I think he's getting more of his due now, finally. Sure. You hear like a lot of bands. You hear like I told Neighbor, like Turning Into Water was like the best song George Harrison ever wrote. And they were like, you know, thanks. We were thinking of Hmm. And as a guitarist, yes. I think he's very underrated. Oh, well, I think he gets his due nowadays, for sure. Maybe, I think, because, like, some, like, I've talked to friends more of the metal types where, you know, they think of guitarists that could so-called shred, you never think of George, but, like, Ticket to Ride, that would be like a heavy metal song almost, if you think about it. She's so heavy, I want you. Yeah. Try it's, playing Come it's Together. A song. It, it, it came to me now, not on my hard drive. My brain is Hey, that's why it's this one. It's, we just uh, called Make It Up As We Go Along. It's, um, if I Needed Someone. Yeah. That was one of the Bee Gees' first uh, singles. Now, see, I didn't if know I that. If I Needed Someone. Yeah, they covered uh, uh, Beals. Everybody And covered. then in the 70s, you know, the Bee Gees, I wouldn't say they ripped people off, but they have they went for sounds. And it, they really struck gold in the seventies. You ever listen to the uh, the soul band, uh, the uh, Stylistics? Yeah. Listen to them, and then listen to what the Bee Gees did around that same time in the seventies, and it's like, whoa! They're like they're totally like taking this harmonies that the the the, the falsetto of like the Stylistics um, of that time, and uh, turn those into those. Somebody has a quote. What is it? Those are good songs, though. What's there was the one quote? I can't remember who it's from now, but it was like some musician where. Good artists borrow, great artists steal. Sure. <laughs> Remember that one? We all yeah. sort of, you know, subconsciously even, I'm sure. 
You don't do it. Well, that's a, bring it back to George Harrison again. That's what happened with my sweet my lord. My sweet right lord. Now. No, I was just I just read a Chuck Berry bio, and I actually was listening to him again in the song there, where he says, "Here come old flat top." Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> the story behind that one was uh, Chuck got all the uh, Chuck Berry got the uh, get the residuals from uh, the rock and roll album. That it was on. Yeah, that's, that was the deal they made there. But Chuck was, yeah, he was interesting just reading it. So I'll stick to his music after what I've read in his book. <laughs> but, you know, that's what they all did. Now they all love that old 50s stuff, too. That's what the Beatles want to be Buddy Holly, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, but there's another good story, and I put it on Facebook because I read the Phil Collins bio. And he said he played on All Things Was Pissed. He's like a session guy. But they didn't. He's like, you know, that fair, fairly unknown Genesis just started. So he's looking for the tapes because it wasn't on there. So what happened was later on he's friends with George and all these guys. George finds out about it. He finds the tapes, but he plays around with it. So he gives it to Phil. He goes, here's the tape. Collins plays it. Here's George saying, oh, this is bloody awful. (laughs) Because he just added that on. And he had, like, the sense of humor about it, which I think was really cool about him. He always has, like, the sort of wit about him. He was. He he had the quickest, uh, the funniest one-liners. Uh, if you ever watched any of the Beatles stuff, my favorite. Like I'm like the only one, one-liners. but my favorite line from Help. Still, it's a thingy. It's a thingy. What's that from Help? From Help, when they toss the little, they're doing the whatever the little ball. Yeah. The, the, it's got the it's got the little lighter on. He's like a thingy, a thingy, stingy. <laughs> sure. When they're playing the games out with their ski, everything. <laughs> Did you ever hear the outtakes from their? Christmas uh, uh, albums. No. Uh, I think in 60, they had to do these Christmas albums. Yeah, I remember for their, those. For their fans. There were some outtakes. And uh, and uh, they they usually, near the end, they usually have no material when they would go in to do these things. So the sound engineer would just get a bunch of sound effects and they would just rip, riff off the sound effects. And one was like a saw or something. And the butcher, and they were, and that was like '66 or something. The, the Christmas of '66. So remember the butcher album that yeah, came out? Yeah. And there was a big controversy over that. So when George heard sawing and stuff as a sound effect, he was like, "Oh, we cut up the babies here." And then <laughs> yeah, he's he's totally riffing off the controversy over that about how they eat babies. It's pretty funny. <laughs> well, that was crazy back then. You think back, like, just all the burning of albums, even though I hate to say it, it comes around in circles sometimes with some of these, you know, crazies like that. But, you know, with all the burning albums and everything else. But, like, the butch- that's pretty funny, actually. So, to me, I think that's funny. Should have called the prize the meat puppets since it's taken or anything. But, but <laughs> serious, important question. This is deep prospects for the Mets this oh, year. Oh, the Mets this year. Um I've um, no, <laughs> I've been long suffering, and I'm a very bitter sports fan. Because, well, well, the Vikings are the best. <laughs> right. Well, I've got a couple football teams that I follow. Um, I grew up liking the Vikings, but I now I root for the Bills probably more. What are you like a masochist or something? <laughs> I know they're like both combined. It's like we're the, and we're the Sylvia Plath of sports. The Super Bowl. Well, I think I had my Super Bowl last year. Was when the Vikings uh, beat the Bills inexplicably. This year, that that game was crazy. You want that was just a crazy. He game. had a craziness. I saw a Facebook po- post by Mike Murray, and he goes, "They stink." I'm going, Mike, you're my friend. Why are you making fun of the Vikings? Because I had to go to a birthday party. Yeah. It was 23. T- I saw Cook run yeah. for the touchdown. I left. I figured they're going to kill him. So I go, 
it's all Bills fans, and they're looking on their phones. And I saw the critics on that, and I couldn't believe it. And again, you know, it was part luck, too, because, like, with Allen, with that fumble. Man, you know, can't, I, I can't feel it. Like, yeah, up. he gave that. He gave the game to them. Yeah, he did. Uh, um, they, the Bills should have won that game. The only game all year season for the Bills that they were never in, and they never, that they shouldn't have won, was the since the last game yeah, in Cincinnati. Yeah, and I did actually That was the only game they played that they I was, should not have I won. Was they busy, were outplayed. but I watched yeah. it on the NFL, and that, that was the game they just, they got outplayed. Right, I mean, if you look at those games they lost during the season, they actually had more yards, more time of possession. It's just stupid mistakes that the Dolphins, uh, Vikings, and uh, Jets games. The Bills, if you look at look at those games again, and I looked at one of those again, and the Bills dominated all those games. They only lost because of dumb mistakes. You ever see those time. where it's like the one team gets 500 yards, the other team gets like right, barely right, two, right. but it, they lose? It, it was like that, yeah. They uh, they outgained the Jets and the Dolphins. There was two games. things in that Bills game. Number one was they, you know, the, the Allen fumble. The other one was the Jefferson catch. So it's like I feel like I, because I like these teams, they can never finish like – they have great seasons and then they fall apart. Like, no, to me, like playoffs. after what the Vikings did, like I remember, like I think all of us said. One of my friends texted me during the Colts game, "Well, why don't we put in the second stringers?" Yeah, no, that's what you. That was, I think, like I was saying, like put in the second stringers. It doesn't make sense in the long run, and it's not going to happen. But yeah, that's the first thing you think of when when things. And go And then bad. I thought afterwards to give up that many points to the Colts, their defense stinks. Yeah, I mean it really does. Yeah. But it was yeah. like such a letdown for me. You have that season, all the comebacks, the excitement. They're like the cardiac kids. Then they lose the first thing. <laughs> well, the karma had to change for him because if you remember the previous season, yeah. they lost all a those... bunch of games in the fourth quarter yeah. at the last second yeah. uh, when they were ahead. Yeah, I was saying if they had Zimmer this year, they'd be like like five and twelve because it knows? was every game. It was like they they were ahead and they would lose, and this year. Every game they were behind, but when they lost, they got pounded. So you know. Yeah, as far as the Mets, the same thing. You know, they had a great season and then they fall apart at the end. They can never play well in September. So I'm, I'm going to try to avoid watching as much as I can. I, Although, I, 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 I got caught up. I caught a little bit of a preseason, and they always get off to a great start. Like yesterday during a preseason <clears throat> game, Pete Alonso first at bat, he hits a home run. So Save it's like. It. You know, they look great now. I have a soft spot Are they going to be good in them? September? See, my mom was a huge Yankees fan. She loved yeah. Phil Rizzuto. I love He's great if you could find him when he was drunk. Those broadcasts were classic. There was one he was drinking wine. I remember they go off the air and you could hear him say, I blew that. But, so I became a Mets fan for that, like around them because, you know, WWR. Same with me. And they stunk. Yeah. Yeah. But they were lovable. In yeah, a way. It was you Ralph know? Kiner. Ralph Kiner. Yeah. yeah. And it was... This was when, you know, the era was certain because it was that post-Seaver when they were bad. But I enjoyed them. Oh, no, they were good at that. Well, this was like late the, 70s, Craig Swan, okay, John Stern. I didn't get into it until, I didn't start watching WOR until after they won the World Series. So they were pretty good. So that, uh, I didn't get into it until 86, 87, 88. Yeah. And they were good then. And they were still okay in the early 90s. Then they had... Uh, bad uh, time in the mid nineties. Yeah, they were Dal- bad. but they traded. They and went then, through like Dallas Green, and then, uh, it, it, Terry Cobb. They then got back to the series. And then ninety eight, ninety nine, they were good again. Yeah, but they had like a, they had like all they were going to be like the Braves rotation. They had like Pulsifer, Isringhausen. They never right. really panned out. But my friend Rob, who's been like a Mets fan since we were kids, 
And he's a suffering one, too, because he's a Chargers fan, too. So that's if you want suffering, probably we're, we've got it better. But he was glad they didn't sign DeGrom. Um, yeah, I guess so, considering he he's might hurt already. hurt again. But I don't know how serious that is. It might not be very serious. My, he never do it, but I think it might be better for him to be a closer the way he goes because it seems like he can't pitch. He's pitched. He's made 36 starts since 2020. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to tell this early in the. In but the I was season. watching some of his games. He's hit like a hundred and two miles an hour and stuff on his fastball. Yeah, I mean, the guy was <laughs> when he came back last year. He was really good. Um, it's like he didn't miss a beat. And, and, and then near the end of the season, he stumbled a little bit. He had one really, really bad start against one of the worst teams Pirates, in the league. Pirates. I no, think, it was, was the A's. I thought it was the Pirates. It was so. the A's. Oh, yeah, I remember that now. Cause I, yeah, they didn't struggle. They struggled against the Pirates the previous season. This year, they did okay against the Pirates. But it was the A's that DJ Now I remember that when it was like five game. gates runs. Yeah, yeah, he gave up like seven runs in the first inning or something. It was It, it was, was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the A's were terrible last year. Um but then uh, it was Scherzer who fell apart in the playoffs. Well, he was hurt, too, yeah. so he was hurt. No, he came back, and he was fine. Yeah. And then their first playoff game, Scherzer just threw a clunker. It was... I saw, like, when he pitched for the Dodgers, and I watched a lot of games of those, there were a couple games he just looked like unhittable Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, you couldn't uh, even... well, you know, for like... most of the last season, Scherzer pitched fantastic. Uh, that first Yankee series... Uh, he struck out Aaron Judge, I think, all three times, I think. Greg, you're um, quiet. Uh, forgot he wasn't here. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> okay, he doesn't follow baseball too much. So you, uh, no, we I never. I don't think that. we ever talk about yeah. baseball. Film. That's why we had the advantage here. But how now, Dr. Anonymous has been popping out doing some work, because I know you've taken a step back from playing out with Anonymous Willpower. You had the last show at Lux, which was... yes. Which, if you could find on DVD, it's probably released by now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, there's no video out of that yet, but um, it's a tough place to shoot video in Lux. Well, you'd see heads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thing, Lux is a great place to play. You have to well, Lux, couple... Lux is great because you have to they... start late a little bit. That's they pay, they pay better than anybody else, yep. and they give original bands their due. And they do, and a lot of people, yeah. but it does get really crowded. That's one thing. Right. And it does for us oldsters, as we've been complaining about on the show a bit. It starts late. Well, Ish. I miss those, for God's sake. Oh, you, you know, do? it doesn't even start that late. We were started at like 9.30. See, that's not late for me. <laughs> it used to be back for me. I remember day, back in the even... day, the first show would be at 1. Right, right. <laughs> Some bug jar shows, yeah, that were like that, for sure. I used to do, I would make the rounds in the day. I'd start like at a happy hour somewhere, run yeah. into people. Where are you going next? Go to this band. Go see this band. Then we go there. End up like at somewhere like the Bugs or at one o'clock, and the headliner wouldn't even be going on. <laughs> yeah, I remember New Year's Eves too. I mean, I remember one of my fondest memories is a colorblind James show at the old Friends and Players, in which they played until three o'clock in the morning, and uh, they were running out of uh, material, so they had volunteers go up, and I ended up going up and singing something. Um, that's a good ad lib for New it was Year's like Eve. 1988, I think, yeah. I'm bad with years like that. Now, I remember the old days like that. It's just become one of those where, you know, to get, like I looked out like the last, well, my car's been in the shop, so the only reason we have a show is because I have the 
the old model that could get me down here. But I look out, it's cold out, it's getting late, I don't want to park. <laughs> well, there is a couple things going on, going on with me. Um, I got into that, if everybody writes the same song again. Me and Susie have done you, that. You know I times. made fun of the title. <laughs> Why? Don't you want to write your own? Why do you all want to write the same? And you have to call everybody? <laughs> I think the the people that came up with that idea would say, you're missing the concept there. The no, idea, it's me. Yeah, yeah. The idea is to not write the same song, just have the same title. Oh, because I'd, be, I, you know, I'd have to be snarky. Go, well, I have to call, like, I have to call Miriam Morales, and I have to call her. I have to get a hold of everybody else. Okay, what are you writing? I don't want to write about that. We have to write the same song. It, it's funny because it actually works for me because it's tough for me to be challenged. If I'm challenged, I'll tend to try to come up with something. And I came up with something. This year's thing is uh, what did what did I miss? I don't think this was the strongest title, but I came up with a tune. I I plugged it into sort of social media culture, so it's like we're always like checking our devices and yep. checking t our televisions and radios and all that to see what we missed. So I kind of played off of that idea. Yeah, it does, too, because it's gotten to me. I was actually, like, you get to a point as, like, a friend of mine. Like, I was actually talking to Kyle Vock when he's on the show. And, it's there, and I'm going around. Every 15 minutes, I check my phone. I mean, we're all being bombarded with information constantly. It's too much. Not knowledge, uh, though. It's so just... we, we all, even, no matter how much information we're bombarded with we still feel like we're missing something and it's always like when you you know it's always that important news you open your computer that horrible news about tom brady <laughs> right this happened it's, it's like, always like clickbait where it's like this horrible the nfl reacts or yeah, this we happened. are so interested in useless information you know and it's it's like okay what's going on oh there's a war in some country we don't know where so that they're about. doing it at the jcc this year which what? is they used to do it at Hochstein, which was a pretty big venue, too, even though it started out at Bernunzio's years ago. But Bernunzio's was too small. I miss Bernunzio's show, um, though. I know they're yeah. So, But they had to expand, so they went. But now they're at JCC, which I mean, is, is pretty big. It might, you know, I took my um, dad there for years, and yeah. they have a big... Everything good about parking lot's really good, which for me is issues always if it's yeah. not. And it's a big stage. Danny's yeah. had some things from Abilene there, yeah. too. They've so that's like on March 12th, uh, Sunday. And then uh, April 1st, uh, Anonymous Willpower will be getting back together for uh, um, a little tribute. Wait a yeah, sure, I don't believe you with one, the date. A one, day, a one day tribute. Oh, no, yeah, April it, 1st, it, sure, it, sure. It, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, it's for a guy that used to play guitar with us who passed away last year, uh, Howard Samuel. This is getting... I have to say those. I know it's like it. we. It's get, like, and then I have you know, one of my best every, friends died last week. Charles Jaffe, another famous. You know, uh, I'm getting like musician. I told like I told Mike Murray that on the show. Can we just do one show where we don't have to have a tribute? Yeah. You no, know, it's like everybody. One of my really good friends passed away last year. Yeah. And you know, somebody's mother died yesterday. I didn't know Charles. Would you want to tell us a little bit about it? it sounds like a great guy. Yeah, yeah. Charles is a really fascinating guy. Somehow um, I don't know how I miss some of these people because it sounds like a great gem. Yeah, I came back from, I was out of town in the mid-90s in Baltimore, Charlotte, North Carolina. But when I came back from Baltimore, um, Colin Blind James were still together and I was a fan, but they had uh, some different members and uh Charles Jaffe, a keyboard player, along with Rita, a vocalist, and a couple other people were new members because Phil Marshall had moved on to his solo projects. 
But anyway, I went out to see them, and they had a keyboard player, and it was Charles Jaffe. So uh, I introduced myself to him, and he ended up giving me lessons, and that led to a long friendship, a 25-year close friendship. Yeah, Jimmy, was Jimmy Mack in there or not? Jimmy Mack was always with him, yes. Yeah, he was. He was the one guy that didn't change. My, my Guinness buddy over at, <laughs> at Casey yeah, yeah, Jones. Yeah, it was uh, Heveron, Barry Heveron and Philip Marshall left uh, to do other things. So they were replaced by, uh, there was a guitar player who's also deceased now too, but he died a few years ago, Tommy T. Um, um, I'd say his last name, but it's one of those really long grammatical kind oh, of Oh, you're names. like me where it's yeah. like... yeah. Uh, so they had him, and then they added a keyboard player, which was Charles Jaffe, and a vocalist, which was uh, Rita. Um, and they had a trombone player, John Ebert. So they were still putting out records until uh, Chuck Cuminelli unexpectedly died yeah. in 2001. But my relationship with Jaffe continued uh, until right up to the end. I was almost We were going to be his caregiver, too, near the end. Um, kind of already were, but we were going to get paid for it. But it didn't. It didn't go that long. It was Parkinson's that really kind of uh, did him in. That's, I just but, know, uh, like the Chuck, because Jimmy told me a lot about Chuck. A lot of those. Yeah. Well, Charles Jaffe was originally from Boston, and uh, he used, he was you know drive a taxi amongst other things there. But you he know was what, also heavily into the music scene. You there. know what I think yeah. of too? Just his last name, Al Jaffe, from Mad Magazine. <laughs> I'm not that familiar with him. Was he an, art, art, yeah, artist an artist? It's like okay. I think he's like he's, he's like almost yeah. There are some other jammies out there too. I think there's a famous oh, cinematographer. Only, I think. only me yeah. though. I would think of stuff like that. And yeah. also today, this is out obviously on our usual time, but also Joe Daly. Yes, and that's uh, where I'm actually uh, when I get out of here, we're taking Jaffe's wife to see the uh, the showing at the Little, which is at three o'clock today for uh, the concert for Joe. Which I've already seen it because I was there live, but there's a uh, there's a showing of the concert. And then uh, there's a band today. playing afterwards, I think. So, there are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. at 630. Well, or... Jaffe was in that show, so uh, yeah, it'll be good to see see that live footage again. Uh, that'll be at 3 o'clock today at the Little. It's just amazing. I mean, I guess that's one of the problems we get with getting older. I mean... The uh, the benefit for our other guitar player, he was our middle guitar player, Howard Samuel, was with us during a good run for anonymous willpower from about 2015 to uh, 2019, um, where we put out the Trailer Romance CD um, and uh, played out. Uh, so he was our middle guitar player. He replaced Chris Stasio and then uh, and uh, Bob uh, Bob Olson. But uh, he he had a good run with us. Um, he lost his struggle with cancer. He couldn't find a, uh, a liver donor. Um, so I always owe Phil Marshall so, too because so you know yeah. you also know he came over and played for my dad. Yeah. He had to mention that was oh he did. I'll Excellent. tell you what music yeah. does too. My dad he hit me over the head with plates. He called me Antonio for some reason. I don't know, like, some of these I tried to figure out, like, with dementia, where they come from. Every now and then he would get lucid, and I'll still always treasure when he said the one time I wouldn't want anybody else to take care of me but you, but then he'd go, and some of the stuff was from his past, and I've heard, like, Tom just said sense memory, like, he would see stuff, like, he would see horses in the backyard, and he tried to catch a boat one time out on the road, I think that's because he was in the Coast Guard. 
But I'm trying to figure out some of the other ones where they came from. If he just like he might because he couldn't see that well either time. So maybe like if he thought he saw something, sure, you know he would go on like at things. But when he played with Phil, we should have that would have been the sessions because you hear him, he would know every lyric, nice of the old songs. And music does that for people. Sure, it's amazing, and he could get violent. But whenever Phil was over, I could you know I'd hear him, and he was always. Yeah, it's almost as if the sound, uh, the brain getting receiving those sounds opens up sort of pathways that have been shut down, connecting to certain parts of your memory, memory banks that, that uh, like... aren't, aren't open usually unless they're stimulated somehow. I'm yelling at Phil when I'm going, play a Fox Sister song with him. <laughs> you know, it's interesting, too, because Phil being, I'm sure he's done this for a lot of people, but he gets somebody who knows all the local music, too. So yeah. it's joking about him like that. But I've always never really asked you, because you have an eclectic taste like I do, what did you first really start listening to? What were your first likes for music? Oh, yeah. Um, I always liked music. Um my stepmom, who I mentioned before, had a very good record collection. So she had a lot of different things, too. I actually had a thing for Tchaikovsky when I was little. I always liked Swan Lake for some reason. And then uh, she had a lot of Simon and Garfunkel. Albums, My too. first was Mazagorsi Pissers at Exhibition. Yeah, you know, she had that also. And I tried to play that piano, which is what but that was the first one. I think that's when like... I hear that, it always reminds me of uh, ELP. Didn't they do a version of that, I too? think so. When yeah. I actually heard in my house a lot, I heard... Uh, that album, Welcome Here, My Friends to the Show That Never Ends. I heard that yeah. song, that album played a lot. Yeah. But I think that's, you know, the exposure. But, like, for me, too, because my brother was in New Math, I was exposed to all this different music. Sure. Where, at the time, you know, you go to your suburban high school, you get the the popular stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's the pre-teen years for me. And then for rock and roll, I was in a suburban school, East Rochester, so... Van Halen was kind of the the biggest uh, band in our high school years. So they would be big. I would one. say Journey was really big in my well, school. Well, yeah, Journey was huge too. REO, Sticks, Foreigner, Sticks, yes. Foreigner. Yeah, I always looked at Foreigner being a little above those others, like those a little bit in terms of talent and stuff. Though. Well, that's just your hometown pride. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you said at one time though, like if Hot Blood it was done by a punk band. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Be, Can you, you imagine know, the? I could hear the Ramones doing Hot Blooded. And I think their fans would love it. Could you imagine, though, getting, like, some all that corporate stuff? I hate it. Yeah. How's this song? The Ramones are playing. Really, you know who wrote that? <laughs> <laughs> we do get prejudiced like that in a way. Like, me, if it's popular, yeah. I don't want to. That's why I rag Greg about Billie Eilish all the time. Well, the funny, funny thing about punk rock fans that I found, and I guess this is kind of a slam, it took me a long time to actually get an appreciation for punk. I didn't appreciate it until I was in college. But, uh... They're, uh, it's so, it's like, it's like, um, it's do-it-yourself, uh, anti-establishment kind of thing. But then, when they have opinions, they turn totally into snobs, right? <laughs> They're almost like rich snobs when, when they have their well, opinions Well, you know, the, the seat which I've read, and anybody can contradict me if it's not true, but it's actually reading some, a couple books, like, about music. The Sex Pistols are basically... A band Malcolm McLaurin used to advertise his clothing store. Of course, yeah. <clears throat> so that's like you think about that. They're talking about selling out. They're basically like the monkeys of punk. Right, because, right. You know, but, they're, 
But yeah, it's true. They all well, become... rap has become like that too. Oh, see, uh, rap, I'm all old, is, like old for rap. Rap stars are now, all that stuff. Yeah, rap stars aren't there to rap; they're there to sell stuff. Oh, now, Ice you know? Tea. And I admit, like I love the Fridays films. Yeah, but remember, they were supposedly dangerous in a time though. Ice Tea, like Trey and everything. I know, I know. The the, the uh, you know, F, F, the, <coughs> F the Police is now a cop on TV. Yeah, for like yeah. 15, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Ice Cube, I meant, meant for Fridays, but he's in on the con, he got attacked by the snake. Yeah. No, it's interesting how they go. But I would probably, too, if they ever came to the podcast or whatever, here, just do this stuff. How much? No, I'm, I have my principles. You're paying me what? Oh, <laughs> okay. That's how it goes, but like with Van Halen, too. Like that, everybody, that was a big band, obviously, oh, too. On their Van Halen first album, they have a song called Atomic Punk. Yeah. To me, that was punk. <laughs> I think that's their best album, in my opinion, too. Uh, yeah, it's either that one or uh, or um, Fair Warning <coughs> gets a lot See, of high praise like these days. That was a good one. That I was I was I was also loved uh, the third one, Women and well, Children yeah, First. Was funny story one. behind Fair Warning was, I mean, it came out really dark. Basically, the theme of the album is Life Sucks. So it was one of my favorites. It had like a jazz. Well, that, that 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 photo right on that yeah. on that cover. I found that original photo in a psychology book. That paint <laughs> that that's a, a fair warning. That cover that is a small snippet of a large painting by somebody who was schizophrenic. Oh, so I didn't know. Not Richard. It couldn't have been Richard. Yeah, Dan somebody who was institutionalized created that art. But what happened, uh, Tony, I think Unchained's a great song off there with Mean Streets. But what happened on that album, it didn't sell as well because it was sort of dark and gloomy. They right. actually did the payola with it where they would right. go to DJs and yeah. say how much they would pay them or give well, them. Well, what was their next, next single after that, right? Oh, it's... It was Pretty Woman, I yep. think. So they saw that real quick. Now, right? this gets me, too. It was the 80s. It was all sex, all the stuff. Diver Down, the sign, though... The double entendre, diver down. Right, right. That's, which I did, that was, was way over my head. Yeah, I begin. That's the one that has Pretty Woman on it. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That was the first. That was like one was like it's like thirty minutes long and mostly covers. Because I think the story behind it was they were going to take two years, but they demanded an album now. Yeah. But I'd love to see footage of the US Festival because I guess Roth was ripped off his head, <laughs> right. which would be funny. There's a connection between them and the Ramones, too. Did you know that Van Halen were supposed to be the band that was going to be in Rock and Roll High School? Oh, no, see, I didn't know that. Yep. I just laugh about Vince Lombardi High. <laughs> yeah, it went from Van Halen to the Ramones. Oh, I wish I would have. I saw, I saw PJ Show Souls when she appeared for Halloween. When she appeared in person at the Little. I wish I would have known that. I would have asked her about it. I could see them fitting in there and everything, though. I suppose at the time, yeah, that it, made, it kind of made sense. But now, you're obviously very into the music of New Orleans. I, Noel always confuses me, so I say New Orleans. Right. But is there a way to describe it? I was thinking about that on the way here. Like, every region has its sound. I think of, like, the big piano... Sort of the, the well, New Orleans is so influential that there are several sounds that come out of there. Obviously, the first big brass band jazz sound was created there, and then, but that quickly spread up the Mississippi to places like Chicago and 
stuff like that. Because I love like the idea. Okay, if this is Chicago Blues. Can so identify you got it, yeah, so Louis Armstrong so and you know obviously Jelly Roll Morton are both natives. But then I'm more into the '50s stuff, the creation, the early they're the early creators of rock and roll from that area. Um, Fats Domino, Professor Longhair, yeah, and one that died recently. Actually, the last one that I could think of who was still alive it was Yui Piano Smith. And everybody. You've heard its songs, even if you don't think you have, because everybody's heard "Don't You Just Know It." Um, I don't know if they know that much that one as much as uh, um, "Rock and Roll uh, Pneumonia." I think um, I even know that one. I think I've yeah. heard that one more. Well, because Johnny Rivers had a hit with it in the seventies. Oh, people... the movie "The Bronx Tale." They did a thing on it. That's why I actually one of the ties. It's oh, so, uh, Rockin' Pneumonia, or Don't You Just Know It? Don't You Just Know There's It? No, you when know, the kids it, are ragging in, on the oh, guy. Oh, Don't You Just Know It was in uh, Brooklyn. Um, the Bronx Tale. Bronx Tale, yeah. okay. The kids are ragging on, like, a vendor and making fun of him, yeah. and they're, like, the yeah. song playing in the background. And you played it live. Yeah. I think you played both of the songs. You played both of the songs live. We do. I, I, I do. Still do. And uh, there was another one I found out that he wrote also, but he they got a different singer <clears throat> to do it in the studio, was Sea Cruise. Oh, uh, you know that one? Yeah. Uh, that was later covered by John Fogarty. Does a really good version of it. Um, I've heard, I think that Bobby Darren or somebody covered it. Somebody no, it was, uh, he was he was a white guy, and he was another New Orleans native. Uh, Frankie something. It is the only Not Frankie Lane. Had. No, it wasn't no, Frankie no, no, Lane. No. Um, well, that's un- the unfortunate part, obviously, too, in the 50s when you'd have the Well, I think that was used. Like I that. think they brought him in without Yui because a lot of those black guys didn't have it. What didn't they have, would do, yeah. couldn't like dictate anything. No, what they would do is they would bring their music and they yeah. tried to get like yeah. antiseptic yeah. white guys yeah. to yeah. sing they did, it. They did, did that without Huey Smith's permission, even though he gets credit for the writing. Did you ever see the, the the movie The Five Heartbeats? And they have this thing where they bring these songs to a record company, and they go, "Okay, we'll sign you." They come in. These guys are going to sing it. It's a bunch of white guys in Letterman Square. <laughs> right, right. It's a really good underrated movie. movie. I really like that. I think yeah, that it was, was a good movie. I think it's uh, supposedly mostly taken from the Shylights. Ah, a little bit. Yes. That's what I've heard. But I just love. That's one of my favorite movies. But that part I thought was really funny, though. But it's not funny. It's sad, but true. But Fats Domino in his time too. You know, you think about music, like, you know, there's Fats, you know, he looks elegant, you know, he's got his tie on. He caused, like, four riots while he was playing. It was the music in general. Yeah, um, in the 50s. And I guess, like, some places wouldn't book him. Some places wouldn't book him after that just because of because of that. He just doesn't look like the kind of guy who would start riots. <laughs> it was the music, though. Was like, well, there was another guy that was also going at that time called Professor Longhair. Yeah. Um, his last name was Bird, Roy, um, Roy Bird, B B Y R D. But anyway, his stage name was Professor Longhair, and um, him and Fast Domino were both came out of the same R and B circuit. Local New Orleans guys. The difference between Longhair and Domino was he didn't have a collaborator to write hit songs with him, and he didn't like touring, so he never left New Orleans. So Fest Domino goes on to become a worldwide phenom, and his music did sell all over the world, and he did tour all over all over the world too. And Professor Longer stayed in New Orleans, and even though he was just an early innovator as much well, as Fest Domino stuff. was, uh, yeah, by the, by the late '60s, um, 
Professor Longhair was making money by sweeping the floor of a record store. It's like Sun House working exactly, here. Exactly, yeah. Very similar situation. And then uh, in the early 70s, there was a more interest in what Professor Longhair did because he recorded some early sides for Atlantic in the early 50s. So those were reissued in the early 70s, and he got his career shot back up, and then he became he started playing out again. He did the New Orleans jazz. I wish, it was, I wish everything could have been like I was reading about Long Island in the 1970s. You could play just on Long Island like the Good Rats. Right. And you'd make yeah. like... They'd make like 120 grand in the 70s playing locally. Can you imagine that? Wouldn't that be awesome for us now? Yeah. You'd have yeah. to play every night, yeah, but still, the 120. But yeah. I guess what happened it's now, the, world. the difference between them and Twisted Sisters, Twisted Sister was along there. They went more national. Good Rats, you know, they'd come here, they play there. It dried up by the 80s. Yeah. But I would love that for music. I would love that for here and anywhere for local music to have that <laughs> dream on i know <laughs> well to even achieve success locally you need to go away right that seems to be the yeah i know sort of <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah exactly you got, but um you know, if you got your people today that are most successful and people that we know um are individuals who I know my out, whole shirt's like, like oh hi like, i can say hello yeah, Nashville. people like greg townsend <laughs> and uh Michaela, obviously, and uh, Daniel Ponder now. Oh, it's our little birds flying away. It's and it was the same in the 70s, too, because of Lou Graham. I mean, he's a perfect example of somebody that goes away and yeah, I mean, it's back a big star. <laughs> we stay and hold the fourth, though, and everything yeah. about it. But that's the thing now. You're making a lot of new music. You have a YouTube channel. You have all this you're trying to get out. Aren't you right now? You have, like, a YouTube channel? And well, that's what that, that Harrison clip was from. I yeah. actually recorded that a couple Well, we'll of, get back to that. A few years ago, <laughs> but now I have a YouTube channel. It's Don Anonymous 1. My big thing now, too, and I just actually posted this on Facebook this morning. I didn't read the article, I admit it, but it's as we get older, our music tastes go back to what we know. Like, I become the total opposite where, especially during the dreaded C word a couple of years ago when I was in the house, I love to branch out and find stuff I've never heard before. Well, yeah. I mean, I always do. I mean, you you have to as an artist. If you're going to think of yourself as an artist, you can't like keep doing the same things over and over again. But you can't. Like, That's why I'm just not going to do this tribute band thing. I mean, there might be a couple rare examples where I could get talked into doing a tribute band, but I try to avoid that. You I, should I actually just... watch the documentary tribute. You get a good if you haven't seen. Oh, it. there's a documentary. Oh, about it's. That? I'll send it to you. Okay. It's actually it's called Tribute. But the one part is, and okay, it's sort of sad but funny. So there's a kiss one, and the the guy was Gene Simmons freaked out and burned his house down. So they're getting an audition. So there's this one guy on there. You feel sorry for him in a way because he's just deluded. He's just so bad, but he's like he's going on about living his dream, and just to watch it, it's pathetic because you know when somebody thinks they're good and they're not. But it's a big, it's obviously a big industry. The thing is, I always try to preach on this show is I keep saying, like what you like, but try something you never had before. You might like it. I've always done the thing where I'll have friends call me old friends, and I'll say, well, I'm going to see such and such and show, and so why don't you come out? And they're like, uh, well, we're going to, we're going out. Why don't you come out and see what, what are you going to see? You're an Eagles tribute band. <laughs> and that's what they'll go to. I've had friends get a hold of me. I know you know a lot about music. I know that Fleetwood Mac tribute band's been 
popular too. They're a lot lately. Yeah. But the only one I will say I really enjoyed, it just became a thing with the guys, was my friend Pat Berrius. He was in a band called Crazy Train, obviously an Ozzy and Sabbath tribute. And yeah. what it became more was we got to know him and the band, and it became a bunch of people I from college I didn't see much. It would be our going out. Yes. And I got to know him, but the thing was, he never really was a fan. He basically, it was when the Osbournes came, too, he got a lot more gigs. He was trying to put his kids through college. After they got out of college, now he lives in Kentucky, he's doing his blues and country solo stuff like he wants. Yes. He doesn't do it, but it was to make the money. Well, that's why that's so successful now, because that's the key to putting bodies in the venues so, of course, they're going to book those bands because the least common denominator always gets the most bodies. I'm, it's I'm something a jerk, that like even all about, your friends yeah. can agree upon. You know, yeah, I'm a jerk see. about, like, even, like, original bands. Like, I'll go, somebody will ask me, like, well, Blue Easter Cult was playing. I, go, I missed my chance. I don't want to see what's that now, <laughs> right. you know? I, I, I can see where you're And I'm a bad there. person like that. So, you know, some people, but, okay, it's the band name there's like the, the you know i always make the joke okay you're going to go see some classic rock band right unless it's somebody legendary uh like i didn't see dylan until like 2005 or something at frontier field and it's like i gotta go see him because i never seen it him was before. the case but you the know. thing was okay who's in the band well uh the guy who was on the third album's cousins the original member <laughs> with a bunch of other guys i actually saw dylan Last time I saw him was 2018 at the Auditorium Theater. Okay. And I will say, I've seen a couple of his shows where he's been really, really bad. Right. <laughs> and you there was, what you're going to get. There was one, it was at RIT or U of R, and I can't remember which, but the, like he walked off after the eighth song because the sound system was so bad. Hmm. But what I got, I'll never go see him again because he was great. And you don't you want to keep that memory yes. because next time For you sure. see him, you might go, oh, why? Right. But it was Dylan. But, you know, now he just plays keyboards because I guess, like, his arthritis or something, he can't play guitar anymore. Right. And he spoke to the audience, none. <laughs> no, he doesn't talk to the audience. Either, I usually. Guess what I've heard what he'll do is, well, he did talk two weeks later because somebody took a picture of him while he was yeah. playing and he stopped the show. He said we could pose or play. And he walked Because <laughs> people were going around for the show. No video, nothing, nothing. But all he does, I've heard, like, if he's in the mood, he'll introduce the band at the end. Right. But all he did was he came out and he bowed. Right. But it was a great show. But the, I, the thing I love about Dylan, too, like, he's playing like a Rolling Stone, which I've heard millions of times. It took me almost trying to halfway through to figure out what he was playing. Right. Yeah. Because it's like, what is he playing? Because he's like... He chases up his phrasing. It he ain't me, babe. He played like, It Ain't yeah. Me, babe, for his third song. And I'm like, yeah. I know this song. This is kind of old. What he do you do about He's probably it? not doing... He's, he's probably having his band played in a different key. Yeah. Um, the different feel, <laughs> often. Yeah. It's, well... You halfway through the song, you're like, oh, that's the tune he's playing. Well, yeah. Ian McLaughlin, yeah. Les Mack, there, in his book, he wrote about when he played for Dylan. He goes, somebody comes up to him and says... Don't get all freaked out if he's staring at you during the show. It's like, why is he doing that? He's got really bad eyesight, and he doesn't wear his glasses or contacts. He wants to see what you're doing. Interesting. And I think, too, you have to be like, you know, in terms of, like, you can't practice improv, and you got to just have that feel with some bands you're going to go play with. Yeah. You know, where others, like, I mean, like the Eagles, like we said, Don Henley would 
Don Feld's book, he said that you have to play note for note. But, you know, if it's your thing, though, I'm like you, though. I'm not really big into tribute bands. Right, and I'm not even into being seeing big shows anymore. No, I, me I don't neither. Really seeing big shows at all. I'll never go to Darien Lake again after the last time. I, oh, oh I don't unbearable. Know. Oh, my last time I saw the Who at CMAC, and I admit, okay, it was half the Who. Obviously, it was yeah. Dolphin and Townsend. They were really good. I got a flat tire from where I parked. I barely made it home. Well, parking is one of the bad things about yeah. it, too. Well, I parked. I found, like, some, you know, a cornfield, which I should have said it was, like, asking for a nail in the tire. Well, they hire all these parking Nazis yeah. to, uh, to uh, you know, and try to not, get, get people out of there in an orderly fashion, and it becomes, like... It's not worth it for <laughs> like, me, either, because it's just, like, you go and you have to leave, like, about 3 in the afternoon... <laughs> Because there's the jam yeah. in Canandaigua. You go in, it's all just, then you have to get there, wait, wait. It's just not. The funniest part, though, and I'll never figure this one out, is I've heard this, like, you know, I was waiting after Jason Isbell. I'm talking to security. And everybody always says, now, from CMAX security to Henry Rollins in his book, that ZZ Top fans are the scariest. And I can't <laughs> figure out, like, you know, in a way, okay, there's 70s stuff, maybe. It's funny because I had seen ZZ Top at Fleet Pack once. Okay, can you attest and to this as the veracity or not? No, not at all. It was very tame. But that was only about 10, 15 years ago. It wasn't like early days. See, um, for me, David Allen Coke's crowd was it, a it, scary. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that for one song, they lip, they lip synced on legs. They're doing this They totally yeah. lip synced because his voice was had this rastiness. He sang good, but it had this raspiness that you could tell was live. <laughs> but then when they did legs, he got really close up to the microphone, and all of a sudden his voice was completely clear, and you could tell there was some processing going on there. And 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 because that there was probably they were probably also playing to a click track <laughs> with that one because it's got that beat. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you could totally tell that he wasn't actually singing on it's that one. It's fun to rag on Kiss sometimes because of all the stuff Gene Simmons says, but the, he came out like ragging on all these bands like the Stones. Everybody uses backtracks. So there's this one great thing where they show a clip of Paul Stanley singing. He backs away from the mic. He's like, here, he's still singing. Right, right. I didn't know Kiss did that, too. Well, I think they do a lot of that stuff, yeah. probably. But a lot of bands, like, you know, they say the Stones use a little bit of it. Some, like, Fleetwood Mac would have, like, a band behind them playing. I guess Ozzy had somebody he was listening Like, he would try to enhance the vocals for him. Get a little older, you can't do it. See? And I like the sloppiness of rock and roll myself. Yeah, I, I know. It's so It's so crazy. You know, I think they they figure, like the Eagles, for instance, they figure if they're going to charge $200 a ticket, then they figure the people are going to want to hear perfection. Yeah, Tom Petty said something about that. I got his Fillmore album, which is really cool. And he said, we're as a band, we're getting stale. So we booked all these dates at the Fillmore. Why? It's a small venue. We could play with you. We want. This is like coming to a sound check. Yeah. They play they play like obscurities. They play covers because he goes, "Look, you're going to our, you're paying whatever. You got to park in a garage, walk, go through a crowd. People want to hear the hits." No, but I think maybe the appeal of tributes in some ways is just that uh, 
I don't know, a lot of people, they just like what they just grew up with and they want to hear it. They're not willing to try something else. Well, it's the venue owners, too, because they're going to book those bands because they know those are the type of bands that will bring in the most bodies. Now, I always say I love the meme about there's a Trojan horse and it says cover songs and inside says original songs. You bring them in starting with some of the covers, then you do your originals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there have been bands that have done that. Um, or bands, I remember bands locally would do like a set of, of originals, you know, in between sets of covers. Yeah. Uh, but then you'd, you'd go to these shows and during the original set, that would be the time, and this is like back in the 80s and stuff, so that would be the time where everybody goes out to get high. <laughs> Which was sad. You know, you go in there and it's like, you know, the big band's doing three sets. The first set, place is packed. The second set, when they're doing their originals, like half full because everybody's gone out, you know, to get air and stuff. And then, you know, they finish up and they're packed again with the covers. Oh, jeez. I don't know. I've always been like, I'm going out for the music, and I can always play like all these other bands I could play on my CD player. I want to hear new stuff and different stuff, that's all. And I'm there, and I always just don't like it when people treat it like wallpaper music where they just talk through the whole show. Yeah. That's just me. But, I mean, you do, like, for Anonymous Willpower, you've always seamlessly done your own, and you've done all a bunch of covers in, which fits really well. It's fun to play them, I guess, too, in a way, if you like the song. There's a lot of good songs out there. Yeah, I mean, early on, we were uh, associated with Jazz Doppelin because Susie had that strong voice. So, early on, we did do a tribute to Jazz Doppelin just as a one-nighter. But after that, we kind of, like, grew... Near the end, we weren't playing so much, much of her stuff. I can't again, even. We got tired of it. You know, I can't even describe. Like you call it, like Susie's called the Voodoo Soul. I always, you know, my description. You and this came after that Alley show during Fringe Fest because my friend gave it to me. I took my friend to see you. Yes. And he said, you know, this band's the perfect band as a soundtrack for an indie film. Yeah, I'm sure you can say that about a lot of different artists. I'm sure. Um, I think think it always goes, like, I've had, like, friends who, like, see performers I know, and they go, well, she sounds like Stevie Nicks, and I don't hear it at all. And I think that, basically, you bring what you know, though, too. You know, but for me, I always say, like, you're one of the bands I've always used is, okay, what do they sound like? Well, they're just good. I can't really describe them. A little New Orleans, a little rock, a little, you know, Iggy Pop, I suppose. (laughs) Sure. Well, our latest stuff has right, gone back right into the rock category, especially because now we've done a couple of originals by Greg. So that could be one of the ones we play. Greg will be in his glory. <laughs> It'll be another thing he can complain about. <laughs> oh, you played my song when I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, drummers. What I, you can't live with them, can't live without them. Yeah. No, but I always, that's one thing I've always liked about your music, though, too, because, okay, you get some bands, you get first three albums, like, it's all the same stuff. What are they going to do next? It's always awesome when it comes out. Yeah, you don't really know. You even got me on the one little Hitler, too, because of the one, because I thought, no, they're doing a Nick Lowe cover? No, it's your own song. <laughs> no, that was, uh, I think it was Elvis Costello that had a song called Little Hitler. Oh, yeah. Well, did Nick Lowe write that? Well, No, he you're, no I think, <laughs> thinking fast on the podcast, right, right. it's on Armed Forces. It's, it's, little, it's easy Elvis to associate Nick Lowe Yeah, because yeah, Peace, Love, and Costello. Understanding yeah. was written by him. You get the idea. 
Right, 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 right. Yeah, this it's, song, this song musically, that that song musically was actually more of a um, a riff off of, off of uh, Steely Dan riff. That's kind of what it started yeah, it with. Was. It has that sort of uh, um, pretzel logic feel. Wait, wait, wait! You have to write a song called Pretzel yeah. Logic. Well, that's Steely Dan. Yeah. Well, so write your own title <laughs> like you did with that one. Start. Oh, that's actually a good idea for an album sometime. You write songs. They have, the song titles have been used, but you write your own original. Well, you know, you say um, that little Hitler came from just uh, some work experience that I had. Um, there was a, I worked in Baltimore, and uh, I worked at a garbage processing facility and there was uh one kid that worked there and he was a nice kid but there was another guy that i became friends with who used to call him little hitler <laughs> because he was sort of like the favorite of a of of, of a boss who was who was hitler like at times that's what you gotta do though you so gotta pick he would like, call him, yeah. no there's little hitler sucking up the big hitler think did you and, write, um, yeah and I had no clue there was an Elvis Costello song called Little Hitler at the time, so I wrote that without even knowing there was already Did you song. write one song based on, on American History X, too? That's the one. That's the one. I that's thought, the one. That's when you said Baldwin, you yeah, confused me. Yeah, the guy said Little Hitler, and I said, all right, and then I met, when I imagined the song, I had seen the film American History X, so I said, well, why don't I write a song about this kind of character, a racist who, who you know, falls on hard times and then turns himself around. So and that and that led directly to the Steely Dan connection too because you could imagine Steely Dan writing a song about that because Steely Dan wrote, was great at writing songs about weird characters, uh, you know, in society, whether it's like Kid Charlemagne or uh, you know the character from Do It Again, you know, fringe fringe people. And I even you know, picture like people. the prep school kid by old school somehow yeah. in my head. It's just I can picture the whole story. Yeah. But I like the contradictions too because I've had. Experience. You ever meet somebody and they really seem really nice? They're fine. Then all of a sudden you realize they're flaming racist, and you're like contradict because you're like he seemed like a nice person. Yeah, you don't meet too many people like that nowadays. I mean, there was one I knew who came into the comic book store and he seemed he's a blue collar guy, seemed fine until he opened his mouth a couple times. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm assuming most most of those people are probably over the over the age of fifty these days, right? This guy would be, he would have yeah, definitely yeah. been. Yeah, yeah. That's usually the older people sometimes have that hang-up that they've never been able to uh And they would shake. make a comment. I'd be feeling like, you know, that's really, you, know, you shouldn't talk like that, dude, or anything else. Or, like, I remember, like, my one neighbor, and I cut his lawn, I lost all, he was like, you talk about the Korean War, and he was fine, he sold their house, and I just, he wanted me to do work on his next house, and I just broke off contact because he comes out and he goes, I made sure I didn't insult anybody who was black. And I just sat back, and I just told my mom, I'm like, he can call, tell him I'm not here. I'm not doing anything at his house. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some uh, years ago, some when that song, because that song's on that Trailer Romance uh, CD, um, some woman on Facebook at one time or another criticized me for having a title named Little Hitler. Like I was like praising Hitler or something. It's like you can't. I tried to be you careful can't determine about the content that. of a piece of a piece of work just from the title. You know, I tried to be like you know I tried to be careful about that because I like to tell that story about Mo Howard when 
first Stooges, first people to make fun of Hitler. They were obviously all yell Jewish, and yeah. they would swear in Yiddish for all the people. But what happened was, so they're shooting. He has his birthday party, and he's going. I guess he he was late, so he drove in his Nazi outfit. And there were like three hundred reports to the cops that they saw Adolf Hitler's going down the LA freeway. But somebody <laughs> hears it. I'm obviously, you know, I, I'm not saying, you know, it's like I'm telling a story just because I mentioned the dick. Right, exactly. I mean, <laughs> and they made fun of him. But some people, it's like a word and they don't take it in the, yeah, if you're using the word Hitler, maybe because you're describing a tyrant. Yeah. And plus, it's not even Hitler, Hitler per se. It's Hitler as a metaphor. Yeah, it's like this little tin pot, little, yeah. you know, everything else. People got to read context more, I think, sometimes. They just have a knee-jerk reaction. Well, they're just some figures in history that are so well yeah <laughs> so like uh culturalized like jesus hitler washington i mean you know when you're at that level it's like you become a yeah nobody idea, mentions like it, now if you said little francisco franco nobody would probably care <laughs> i don't know about the alliteration Our generation would, always uh, a little fr- that with, uh, would be yeah. general francisco yeah. franco is still, still dead <laughs> That's how I heard it, though. But, yeah, it does. And, I mean, you get somebody who, now, you have to be, you know, out there if you can't say this guy was freaking evil. It's like one of those discussions. Where, yeah. You know, some people you can, like, okay, there's a revision of them. Um, you see other sides, like a lot of Shakespeare and King, like Richard III wasn't supposedly as bad as they made him up. William Longshanks. But Hitler, come on. <laughs> Yeah, that's one I won't yeah, debate. I think the jury's out on that. That one I won't debate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, you can debate this, this, that, that one. No. And then you still get those people. Marshall. You're like, you know, Hitler had the right idea. <laughs> the one I hear sometimes. He built the Autobahn. The one I hear sometimes. The one I hear sometimes. It was worth it to have the Autobahn. Have you Autobahn. ever heard the one? Well, he did some good things and he went crazy. I've heard that one before. Yeah. No, he was always crazy. <laughs> yeah, there was some good YouTube history that I was watching recently. That there was a, there was the idea that Hitler became so popular because he turned the German economy around in the 1930s. Well, it turned out that one of the reasons why they went to war was because the economy wasn't quite as secure as they thought it was. What the Nazi party was doing were selling junk bombs back to the German people. And then the leaders of the party were corrupt and pocketing a lot of that money. So the economy was actually on the verge of collapse when they invaded Poland. They needed an invade to invade to get the economy back going. Make sure you read your history and everything. Yeah. Don't just take everything spoon-fed yeah. as you hear. <laughs> and it's like, it's, they're all a bunch of nuts, though. So that's like, but what's coming up for you now and everything? This has been, as always, see how quick it's like you, without, Greg missed out. Boo, Greg missed out. Yeah. He's going to be mad at us. It's like, <laughs> but what's coming up for you now on the horizon? And you and Susie, you, Solo, you, whatever. Well, well like I said, you with the got, polka band. We got uh, a tribute to our old guitar player, April 1st, I'll be in the, if everybody wrote the same song. Um, and where is the Mar- tribute? I know you mentioned it. Uh, Murph's at, uh, on Pattonwood Drive and around it's around. It's easy to yeah. find. It's by I-Square, sort of, a little bit. Well, it used to be by I-Square, yeah. but now it's uh, near, where, remember where Stutson Street Movie Theater yeah. was? Right up there at the lake. Ah, uh, you were corrected now. by the host. Yes. You all be going to the gig there going, where is it? I'm going, it's <laughs> not here or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they call it, I guess they call that Panwood Drive. It used to be Stutson Street. Yeah, I, Panwood Drive. 
Oh, they, yeah. Actually, I think it goes into it. It's still technically Stuston Street when it's in the yeah. city, that little part of Charlotte. There's that little part of Charlotte yeah. now, like like Rivers, uh, uh, Stuston Street. They have a nice venue show. up there now. That church is a nice venue. I too. love that venue. Yeah. I've been there a couple times. That's a yeah. cool venue. Only, I'm disappointed, though, because I was going to go see Kate Lee play there. It was a really. Get well, Kate. She was actually had some health problems, and her husband had some health problems. But that would have been great in an intimate venue like that. That would have been like awesome. But check out, you know, Don Anonymous One on YouTube, and also Anonymous Willpower still has our website, and we still sell our music on Bandcamp. But if you go to our website, that's connected to Bandcamp. You could either just go directly to Bandcamp or Reverb Nation to check out Anonymous Willpower. We'll be releasing a few more singles that we never got to release. We're finishing them up, so we're still working on them. Do you have, so, like, a back catalog, like, sitting back there you haven't put out yet or anything? Yes. In fact, I've got one I'm going to put out as sort of like a B-side to this new single. We've got a song written by our a bass player, Eric Davidson, who wrote a pandemic song. And uh, we're finally releasing it uh, next week, March 1st. March 1st is a good time to release stuff on Bandcamp because they have First Fridays where they make sure all the fees go to the artists. That's great. Dude. So I, I like Bandcamp. I wish more bands would get on it. Um, but like a lot of these uh, sort of sites, it seems like they're very popular and then they're not. And I admit I don't know like tons about yeah. these because I'm more like a physical CD yeah. album person still. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you have to be on Spotify. Even though our stuff is on Spotify, I don't like putting it on there. But you almost have to just for the exposure. And I have seen the artists say... Okay, if you buy today, everything yeah. goes to me. So buy that day. Yeah, if you go to Bandcamp, it all goes to the artist on that day. I guess it's supposed it's like before we couldn't get this out. Now there's probably too much out, but you can get it out. But you're within like this big. Yeah. Plus, there's so much out there. So we have like four songs to release. I mean, two, you know, on March first, um, and one will be an older one that Susie sings that we recorded way back at GFI in the, uh, about 20 years ago that I finally thought was actually kind of cool. So we'll be bringing that back uh, for the release and a, new, and a new song by our bass player, Eric Davidson, called Your Hands. And then, uh, and then after that, in, uh, uh, in the middle of the month, I'm trying to try to release a couple more songs uh, that we had written previously for if everybody wrote the same song. One of them is called Fool for This Time. I can't help that title. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just weird. You know me. <laughs> <laughs> one of them was called Fool for This Town, and that was the last one that Susie and I were in, and that was a few years ago. There's one on my friend Natalie Gallman. She wrote this song for COVID that I don't think anybody could top. Sorry, the 12 Days of COVID, like the 12 Days of Christmas. <laughs> sure, sure. Which was just, we were just laughing about it. But that's the one thing, like some people, I always said I was going to be super creative. Or I was going to write like five books. I, was going to do that. I could barely do my laundry. I'm happy for people who could create their own. No. <laughs> it was like such weird, especially when you're playing and all of a sudden you can't play and everything's just the world stops. Well, that because we're not playing out now, it does give you more time to do these recordings. Where before I was having to really put myself on a uh, deadline to get anything done. Now I now I'm not so worried it's about that. It's selfish for my for me. I don't go out as much so so it's good in some ways for me because I can go see you then. Cuz I had I had the problem a couple months ago. It's like, okay, I'll go see friends. 
everybody would schedule the same day, so there would be like three things, and I was just going, I can't do this, it's not the old me anymore. I'm like 2.0 after my death a couple of years ago. I can't hold the energy. Mm-hmm. I want to go watch the Vikings give me another heart attack. Now, I didn't have a heart attack, but I died anyways. But, yeah. but the way the Vikings played, I could have had one. <laughs> but thanks a lot for coming on. And, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I don't know where Greg went, but <laughs> you know how it is dealing with drummers. They just vanish. I'm on. sure he's got things he needs to do and get, get things done. I'm sure cool. he's hanging out with his, his, his lady. Cool. But we'll play something from you if we get it on, so there's no promises. So sure. you can pick whatever you want. So stand by for a surprise. No, uh, I, I would I'll suggest our last uh, set of singles, which was a song written by Greg and uh, a couple of a bandmate of his years ago called Blame It on Rock and Roll. And another song, which is a cover. You can play two if you'd like. Um, yeah, I have another single we released called uh, Elvis Presley Blues. Which is uh, my sort of New Orleans long hair version of a Jillian Welch song. That sounds it, interesting. It is interesting. It doesn't sound anything like the Jillian Welch original, even though it's a fantastic song. Right. I do it like Professor Longhair covering uh, uh, folk singer. I still can't believe he ate those gold nugget sandwiches. Oh. Who did? Elvis. Those are, you know what those things are? <laughs> yeah. Now, for those who don't know what a gold nugget sandwich is, they're a whole loaf of bread, a jar of peanut butter, a jar of grape jelly, and a pound of bacon. And the man's not around today. That's why he died on the throne. <laughs> oh, that was... <laughs> he was the king. Yeah. Oh, man, thanks a lot, Don. I think All we right. better end right there. <laughs> Go Mets. Go Mets. <laughs> thanks. See ya. It was fun.